Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello, and thank you for checking out the podcast. Coming up, Manitoba musician and now author Keith McPherson will talk about his new book, Making Sense of Mindfulness. Alan Campbell is the head of the Manitoba School Board Association. He will tell us how schools decide to close when threats are made. CGLB Sports Show host Christian O'Mell will join us for some Jets talk. And Carolyn Klassen makes a special Monday appearance. We're going to talk about the love story between George Bush Sr. and his wife Barbara. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. Keith McPherson is here. He just signed... A copy of his new book for me. Keith, thank you very much. You're welcome. I really appreciate it. And uh, the launch party is tomorrow night. It is. That's right. Nally Robinson. Yes, it is. Seven o'clock. And you are going to perform as well. You're going to sing. I'm going to sing. I'm going to read. I'm going to speak. I'm going to sign books. Excellent. <laughs> It'll be great. Yeah. So get out there and 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 get the book. And I mean, we all, most Winnipeggers and Manitobans know what a great performer you are. So oh, thank I mean, you. that's a, uh, that's a bonus. And, and the music career continues, right? That's going nowhere. It does. In fact, the book that I wrote kind of stemmed out of my music career. And uh, I was kind of led into this journey of mindfulness through music. So, so let's start with a real simple question. What is mindfulness? Explain that to me, because it's one of those words we hear a lot now, but what does it really mean? Yeah, well, it's such a buzzword. When I was writing the book, people were saying, isn't that that practice where you taste raisins really slowly? Or you just just sit around on a cushion and breathe? And I was like, well, I got to get to the bottom of this. So in its most simple form, what I've found is mindfulness is paying attention in the present moment to yourself and other people around you with kindness. And at first that sounds so simple. Yeah. But it's quite a challenge these days to actually be present with kindness to ourselves, especially ourselves and others around us. Yeah. Well, yeah. and uh, I don't know if it's as I get older, but some things have become really important to me, like gratitude is huge for me. Um, uh, what was the, uh, uh, you just said uh, the word that I was going to, and then I Kindness. Lost. Kindness is yeah. huge. There's this young kid, Jaden Schritt, he calls himself Winnipeg's kindness kid. And it, it, I just really think it's really important uh, for us to have those things in our life. And as you point out, it's often a challenge, right? It can be these days. I mean, we're so bombarded by noise from everything coming at us. Yeah. I think the world of digital technology, as great as it is in terms of keeping us on top of things, really bombards a lot of us and disconnects us. You know, we've got these phones that are telling us uh, how many hours we're sleeping and how many steps we should take and who we should be friends with and where we should eat and what we should buy. And it's really hard to just turn that off and, um, and ask ourselves internally, like, what do I truly want right now, you know? So this is a practice of of returning back to that place of of clarity within ourselves. So what happened then? You're you're an artist, a musician, you're out there performing, and uh, explain the connection to the book and and now and the website and all that stuff. Yeah, well, music to me is an entryway into this practice of mindfulness. I don't know if you ever noticed when a good song comes on and everybody starts singing along, it doesn't matter where you come from, whether you're rich, poor, different gender, equality. It's like all of a sudden the music comes on and everybody's singing. And to me, just being a musician since the seventh grade mm. and growing up playing music, I've seen this everywhere. I've played in some of the richest places in the world and some of the poorest. And it always comes back to that place of connection, you know. Um, underneath the surface of all that we think separates us, there's this inherent connection that takes place. 
And when we're really present in the moment, we start tapping into it. And I see it through the language of music. I mean, it's a, a universal language. Yeah. And, um, you know, when I was playing in Kenya, although they didn't speak the same language, they were still dancing to the songs, you know, and they were teaching me songs. And it's, it's all about that. Yeah. And you're right. Music does. It takes us to happy times, sad times. Uh, it helps us remember people from our past. Uh, it, it, you're right. And it's a connection that we all share, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I think back to like the seventh grade when I started music and I was failing French class and I went to my teacher and said, can I do something to get my grade up? And she was kind enough to give me an extra project. So I went home that night, learned a few chords on the guitar, translated an old Bob Dylan song into French, Wow! got up in front of my whole school and played the song. And all of a sudden my worst nightmare came true. All the, the students were making fun of me. The girl I had a crush on was laughing. And in the middle of the song, I got my first real intuition that I remember that said, reminded me, I just learned the chords to Fred Penner's song, The Cat Came Back. So I broke into that song and all of a sudden the whole school started singing along with me. And I thought, this is powerful. And you know, ever since then, it's just like every time I pick up a guitar and sing, yeah. I just, I feel this inherent connection with everybody and it, there's nothing better than that. So isn't that incredible, eh? That you had, is. you kind of bombed, not yeah. really, cause I'm sure it was wonderful, yeah. but you kind of bombed and then you, you, you knocked it out of the park. Well, this is the thing, you know, I think in, in those times of struggle, when we're really having a hard time with life, those are the moments where we grow the most. Um, in the book I wrote about uh, this saying, Ika Ponomea, which stems from ancient Hawaii. And Ika Ponomea means everything is happening perfectly on time. Now, it doesn't always feel that way. Like when yeah. I left my wallet at home last week on the way to Toronto, I'm like, this is right. not Ika Ponomea. But, you know, in those moments, you realize that um, there's lessons to be learned and our growth happens in those struggles. So all the way back to the seventh grade, yeah. when I was failing, um, I had my biggest growth in that moment, too. Yeah. So, or yeah. one that I can pronounce is saying I can pronounce everything happens for a reason, right? Absolutely. Kind of, it does. kind of the, you know, the same sentiment sort of, right? It really does. Yeah. yeah. And the synchronicities of things, when we really start tapping into that belief, um, are amazing. Like I run into you and Gimli and now yeah. I'm here on your radio show. I mean, I know. all these things just happen. The right people, the right events are taking place. And if we just simply shift the way we're looking at it, you know, that, that really annoying person in the workplace that sits next to, next to us every day, it's like that person is annoying on one hand, but may have lessons to teach us about things like patience or compassion mm -hmm. or understanding. So it's changing the way you look at things. Yeah. And uh, the book, I want to make sure you sell some books here. Uh, <laughs> The book is Making Sense of Mindfulness, dot, 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 five principles to integrate mindfulness practice into your daily life. Can you just give us an example or one, and I'll, I'll let people buy the book for the other four, but give us an example of what you're getting at. Absolutely. Well, um, let's start with, I'll just talk about principle one. It's really a simple one. It's everything begins as an inner dream. And when I say inner dream, everything begins as a thought in our inner imagination. Mm. For many of us, um, our thoughts are beating us up as opposed to building us up. So an invitation in principle one is to start getting more clear, really clear on like, what am I thinking about on a daily basis? You know, we think over 60,000 thoughts a day, according yeah. to the research, mm. and 85% of those thoughts tend to be chronic negative thoughts. So all of a sudden that starts creating the reality around us. And we start going, oh, life is so hard. Life is so difficult. These become mantras. Yeah. We wake up in the morning and we go, oh, I'm so tired. Do I have to go to work? And, and that just starts completely becoming a hamster wheel where we, we end up living that reality. So 
principle one of mindfulness is in this present moment, what am I thinking about? And can I shift my thinking? Can I set reminders around me that start telling me the things I do want to create in my life? Mm. And, you know, it's just a really basic principle yeah. one is really a basic practice, but it's yeah. starting to monitor what we're thinking about. Well, and you're right that many of our thoughts during the day are negative. And, and sometimes it's as easy as just trying really hard to make them positive, right? I mean, that's sort of the basic beginning of what you're getting at, and that can be difficult. That's hard. It can be very difficult. I always um, suggest when I'm giving talks and workshops that people go to a good place in their imagination. You know, the image in, I, it's the same thing as imagine. Mm. When we go to a good place in our mind and our feelings, it automatically shifts our physiology. So a practice that I do in this, in this principle is I, in the morning, will close my eyes and I invoke all my senses and I imagine myself in Maui, Hawaii of all places. Yeah. And I can feel the sand at Kanapali Beach and I can hear the waves and all of a sudden I'm there. And the unconscious part of us, our unconscious mind, doesn't know the difference. It takes, it takes things very literally. So when I think the thoughts and I start invoking the feelings and the senses of mm. a good place, even in the hardest of days, if I just take that pause and I go to a good place in my thinking and my feeling my entire day can shift because my whole body shifts, like mm -hmm. my physiology. Yeah. And then I'm shifted and actually everyone around me shifted as well. They go, what the heck? Why do you seem like you're in Hawaii? And I'm like, cause I was in Hawaii right. and I saved all the air miles too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You didn't have to spend any money or, or air miles to get there. Exactly. So the book is called Making Sense of Mindfulness. Again, the launch is tomorrow night, McNally Robinson at uh, seven o'clock. He's just going to perform. Uh, he'll be there with the book. I imagine you'll do a reading from the book and sign. And uh, I really invite people to get out there. You're, you're a great uh, Manitoba and Winnipeg success story as a musician, as a performer. And now uh, you're an author, you've got the book, but I know you got a really cool website, Keith McPherson, is it .com or .ca? .ca. Keith McPherson .ca, good Canadian, Keith McPherson .ca. <laughs> Go and check it out because you are doing workshops and you're speaking and all that kind of stuff as well. That's right. And in fact, this week, I'm about to launch a brand new free online course for people that want to take a deeper dive into mindfulness practice. Excellent. So and they can be... find that at the website. It will be there this week. Excellent. Hey, yeah. best of luck. Really good seeing you. Glad I ran into you up in Gimli. And uh, best of luck with the book and, and keep us posted, okay? Thanks, Hal. I will. Keith McPherson joining us here on CJOB again. 7 o'clock tomorrow night, McNally Robinson. The book is called Making Sense of Mindfulness. Or go to the website, keithmcpherson.ca. Basically, uh, there were online threats, and the decision was made to shut down all classes in the Lord Selkirk School Division. Now, well, Alan, who we now have on the phone, can't talk about the specifics of that case, obviously. We'll talk, but not with him about it. But, uh, Alan, I wanted to have you, first of all, thank you for doing this, Alan. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Yeah, I wanted to have you on because... When we see something like online threats or some of the other uh, issues that have popped up in the past like this, how do you make the decision uh, what to do, how to handle it? Do we cancel classes? Uh, at what level are those decisions made? And I imagine it's collaborative, right? Yeah, correct. Collaborative is a good word for it, How um, When uh, you know a local school division is made aware of uh, a potential threat like the ones that are being discussed in this case, um, Typically, the decision to uh, close schools, whether it be the entire division or any individual schools, any decision of that nature is going to come from the superintendent's department. 
and the superintendent is going to work collaboratively with the local law enforcement. In this case, it would have been Selkirk RCMP, but um, threats of that nature would be shared with uh, the RCMP and or, you know, if it were in the, in the city, the city of Winnipeg Police Service and uh, and would be assessed on that basis. Um, uh, closure of schools is obviously not uh, taken lightly, lightly in any division, but in this case, you know, or, or in any case, the superintendent's department is going to err on the side of caution if they can't be, you know, certain in light of the threats that are being made uh, that students and staff safety will be preserved. And certainly over the years, uh, we've seen very violent incidents at schools. We, we've seen deadly incidents at school where multiple people have lost their lives. So I imagine when a threat like this pops up online or, or wherever, uh, you don't take any chances, do you? Correct. Um, I think, you know, in 2018, there's certainly a heightened sensitivity to that. And um, um, social media, you know, n- not speaking about the threats themselves that were posted, but, um, you know, in, in a world where you can take a screenshot and then you can share that, um, it, it automatically, you know, in a matter of minutes or hours, it becomes something that every household in a particular area is acutely aware of. So, um, you know, the division, school divisions and school boards have to take all of that into consideration to say, um, you know, there's a heightened sensitivity to this, uh, both, you know, it, where, depending on where the threat is at the local level or just because of the nature of some of the things you just talked about. Um, and you're right, uh, chances will not be taken. The most informed decisions possible will be made. And again, in collaboration with, with local law enforcement. We were talking earlier, there may very well be, uh, you know, criminal charges uh, in incidents like this. Uh, How does the school behave when a student uh, uh, is faced with, uh, does something like this? How does the school board handle that as far as punishment goes? Is it suspensions, expulsions, all that stuff's on the table? I think it's case specific, obviously, and I... And like you said right off the hop, I don't, yeah. I can't speak to it. I don't really know the details in this case, but um, I think if it's applicable, then the then the local school community or the local school division, the local school administration would get local law enforcement involved if they if they feel as though that that is what is required. Um, if it's of you know if it's of a less severe nature, then perhaps the the disciplinary protocols that exist within the school uh, or within the division would suffice um again it you know th- there are there are decisions to be made by local administrators and by division administration uh, t- to ensure that exactly what steps need to be taken are being taken depending on the, the you know the severity of the specific case you know, somebody earlier was comparing this to, you know, back when I went to school, I'm in my almost my mid-50s, when I went to school, you know, a kid would pull the fire alarm and we'd all get a 15-minute break and ha-ha, it was funny, and we were outside in the freezing cold without our jackets. And while that certainly has serious connotations as well, nothing like this, because when you start seeing threats or things start getting said online or uh, I mean, we've seen the school shootings in the U.S. and even here in Canada, although there are many more in the U.S. I mean, it, it, it's just not even the same. It's apples and oranges, and, and it's just, uh, there's not even a hint of funny here. It, correct. And I think that, um, 
when you look at, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not familiar with all of the posts, uh, but you know, when, when you consider that, um, you know, if, if an individual school is referenced or if, you know, if an individual community is referenced, then, then in 2018, like you said, that is on the minds of every student, of every parent, of every grandparent who has children going to that school. And it becomes a very, it becomes a very, you know, um, very troubling situation, you know, emotionally charged, uh, stressful is, is probably the best word, um, and scary. Uh, so uh, th- those are things that, you know, uh, all come together. And those are the last things you want to be talking about in the context of public education. Yeah, here's the thought that came to my mind. You know, I've often said on the air, how important uh, teaching is and and how much respect I have for good teachers. Boy, I'll tell you, being a teacher or an educator, let's just broaden it out to being an educator in 2018, is sure a lot different than it was even 10 or 15 years ago, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Uh, you know, um, schools are, um, schools and, and, and the staff that help operate them are, are facing completely different challenges than they were, you know, even five years ago. Um, but like, like for sure, five, ten, fifteen, twenty years ago, um, it, it's a very different world. And um, and you know, school boards and school divisions are doing the best they can to make sure that staff are equipped uh, with the best resources and the best training and 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 professional development to to handle you know, whatever cases, uh, whatever cases they see, um, be it, uh, you know, preventative or, uh, or reactionary, there will be raw nerves, uh, you know, not only in the schools that are closed, but uh, today, but in, in neighboring schools and neighboring communities uh, tomorrow when, uh, you know, if, if, if they're back in session tomorrow. Hey, one quick final thought here, Alan, have you guys as school boards, ever said maybe we need to change how we handle this to to, uh, like a more of a deterrent Uh, have you had any discussions like that maybe we look look at uh, treating these incidents when they happen much more seriously is that a conversation that's been had um well you know in in a case where there's uh where there's uh, RCMP involvement and there's charge, you know, p- there's potential charges being uh, being discussed. Yeah, that's you know that's out of a school board's hands. Sure, but uh, for us, it's it's the most important thing is to ensure the safety of the students and the staff uh, that are, that are in the schools and and making sure everyone can go forward in the best way possible to continue their learning. Alan, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thanks, Hal. Have a good day. Yeah, that was a fun one. We. Uh... You know, obviously it wasn't the start we wanted, um, but a great third. Um, you know, we used everyone. Everyone played awesome in the third, and um, happy with the win. Mark Scheifele, after a big weekend for the Winnipeg Jets, joining us here now to talk some Jets is uh, Christian O'Mell. He is the host of the new, or relatively new, CJOB Sports Show, weeknights at 7 here on CJOB. And Cam Poitras, my producer, just happens to be the host of Sports Sunday here on CJOB. So I'm going to sit back and let <laughs> you guys talk. But basically, well, and Shifley was just named one of the NHL stars of the week. He was named the, the top star, the first he, star he, of the week. Wow. Yep. He had five goals fantastic. and three assists in four games. And this comes after a week where Patrick Laine was named top star because right. he scored about 58,000 goals in a week. Isn't that something? But these are two games on the road, back-to-back, where 
it's a white knuckle affair if you're a Jets fan, right? Uh-huh. You have the lead in New Jersey, and in a blink of an eye, it's gone, mm. but you still get the win in overtime. And then the next day, you don't have to go very far. So the road back to back, you're just down the road in yeah. Madison Square Garden. But the Jets dominated, but were losing 3 nothing because Henrik mm. Lundqvist was amazing. He was insane. And somehow was not the first star of the game. Jacob Truba was. I don't know who voted on that, yeah. but Paul Maurice after the game said, I don't know who you guys who you guys voted for, but if you did vote for Truba, you know, I love him, but you need to get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Your credentials are gone. Right. But the Jets were dominant yesterday. And the third period, they finally broke through. And you get four points when you feel like you maybe didn't deserve mm. all four points. You go to overtime for both of them, but this is a team that's you know missing Dustin Bufflin. They've got two guys from the AHL playing on the D pair. You've got a now fourth line cam that with Mason Appleton, Jack Rosovic, and Nick Patan look pretty good. Well, they're starting to get some traction. Well, that's the good thing about that um, because you know we've been kind of waiting for the fourth line to kind of get something going on there. They've been, I think, in the last couple of games they were getting like something like four or five, you know, uh, minutes of ice time each. Now they're game. getting up to eight or nine. Well, yeah, and uh, I think Mason Appleton, he's been good. He's clear in the front yeah, of the net. I like him, yeah. I, and uh, he's in his second pro year. He was a rookie last year in the AHL and had a good season. Now they've got the Islanders tomorrow night. And, Cam, I don't know if you saw the return of the Islanders to Nassau Coliseum on the weekend. I did. Dallas, <laughs> they want them. They want that team back so bad. I was hoping that they that the Jets would be playing at Nassau Coliseum. But, nope, they're stuck in that trap in Brooklyn. But uh, Here, here's, here's the question I have as, right. as you know, sort of a casual uh, Jets fan. Is this now, uh, after this performance on the weekend, as Kelly Moore said this morning, some of the most exciting hockey he has seen since yes. the Winnipeg Jets 2.0. Mm-hmm. Is this now, this performance over the past couple of games and the way they're starting to play better, or at least some of the members of the team are starting to play better, is this now the CJOB turning point, as it were, <laughs> uh, in the season? Are we now going to see, because there's been some grumblings, right, from fans, you know, there's been some people going, oh, uh, great way to end the year last year, and, and now maybe we're not performing as, as well as we were. Well, if they didn't win yesterday, yeah. there would be that there would be talk of it going the opposite direction. Right. That's, that's all the... That's what Jets fans are. You know, it's it's ups and downs. Yeah. And I was, I was, there was some sort of article I was reading. It was from something in the States, and it was about how small markets are a lot more um, uh, uh, prone to feeling the ups and downs more. Right. They get too high. They get too low. They're yeah. so infested. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. But will we now see this team maybe start playing better than they have? I don't think this has any bearing on what could happen down the stretch. Uh, you mentioned a possible copyright infringement of a turning point there, but <laughs> the sue me. Well, but Hal what we saw, what we saw on the weekend was much the same as we've seen over the course of the last few weeks. Yeah. Uh, we saw another blown third period lead. Right. We saw two periods of hockey where the we've seen games like that a month ago where yeah. the Jets overcame they a just bad happen to start. Win these. They just they just happen to win, to win these, these yeah. and the Devils and Rangers aren't near the top of the Eastern right. Conference standings. They escaped. Mm. And look at last week against Chicago, a 6-5 win. We're seeing the same things over and over again. They're just getting wins. And you have to do what you have to do to win the game. And you're getting points built up even when you're not playing at your best. It's December 3rd. You're not going to go 72-10. and Mm. So uh, if you're the Winnipeg Jets, there's lots to work on. You're a team with their roster in flux. Yeah. Connor Hellebuck, there's still some questions there. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that yeah. because that's something else I hear from fans, right? He's not playing the way he was playing at the end of last year and, nope. and especially at the end of last year. No, he's not. 
I, he's not. No, he's, <laughs> that's, yeah. It's an objective fact. But yeah. wouldn't you say, though, that that is a large reason why the Jets were going into the playoffs ranked as high as they were, finished where they did, yeah. and played so well? I mean, they've got to get that figured out. Well, they had they? the second-best goalie in the yeah. NHL last year, and this year they don't. Connor Hellebuck's having a f- decent season. He right. hasn't been awful, mm. but he hasn't been near the top. And if you're a team that wants to win the Stanley Cup— Hard to do it without spectacular goaltending. Now, this team's going to get in the playoffs. They're going to probably host a playoff series. They're going to be in the top two in the Central. Long time to go before then for Connor Hellebuck to figure it out. But there are certainly more hiccups this season than people hoped there would be. All right. Okay. I just wanted to get you in here because a lot of people are talking Jets after a pretty exciting week of hockey. Thank you, Christian. Oh, and by the way, your show is on the road tonight. Would you like to promote that? Sure. 7 o'clock tonight. We'll be at Investors Group Athletic Center for the Provincial Quad A Boys and Girls High School Volleyball Championships, and there's no easier way to say it than that. Wow, he did that from <laughs> memory. No piece of paper in front of him. Thank you, Christian. Christian O'Mell, Sports Show, CJOB Sports Show at 7 o'clock tonight. Uh, the body of George H. W. Bush, Bush Sr., uh, has arrived in Maryland and is now in the presidential hearse en route to the Capitol. And uh, that's why I've got our next guest on the phone here, Carolyn Klassen from Conexus Counseling. Good afternoon, Carolyn. Hey. Hi. Thanks for doing this special Monday appearance on the show. Of course, you're on every Thursday between 2.30 and 3, and you'll be on this Thursday between 2.30 and 3. But I wanted to have you on for a minute. You know, George Bush Sr., Uh, George H.W. Bush passed away on the weekend, 94, less than a year ago, I think eight months ago, his wife Barbara passed away. And a big part of uh, the conversation now that he's gone is their love story. And I don't know if you realize this, but when he was in World War II, he started writing love letters to her, and they carried that on right up until her death, back and forth, love letters, which I thought was really sweet. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's striking to think that, you know, the leader of the free world was taking time to write letters to his wife, right? Like out of all the things, the demands on his time, he made time for his wife. Um, and, and writing letters is an expensive way to use your time. Um, it's much faster to talk to somebody, and he took the time to love her in a way that meant a lot to the two of them. Obviously, true love, whether you agree with his politics or not, you have to be touched by their love story. And I'm curious to know, we hear this all the time, you know, when somebody in a real love like that passes away, the other person often passes away fairly soon after. And that's the case here as well. It seems common. Well, we are wired for connection. You've heard me say that a zillion times, right? Um, We were made to be in relationship. And um, when a couple has been together for over 70 years as they were, when she passed away, that leaves such a huge hole in his life. And Mm -hmm. we know that... Um, health and relationships are really closely linked. And so I don't think it's um, any surprise to know that when such an important relationship um, ends, that it's really hard on a person's health and it affects them for sure. And Barbara Bush uh, talked about how it was his sense of humor. And it's funny because as a president, you don't think of him as having an incredible sense of humor, but the sense of humor he had worked for her. And she says that's why she married him, and I thought that also was interesting about couples and, you know, what attracts us to one another. Well, I think they 
it, it just seems as the two of them um, are talking, have talked about each other, there was a gentleness. And so some of that humor, it wasn't sarcastic or biting. It was this, this way that they just really treasured each other and held each other up in high regard and mm-hmm. let each other know that they were number one, that they were special, and that the life, life was richer because each other was in it. Yeah, it's just a, a real uh, wonderful love story, and I wanted to have you on for a couple minutes to talk about it. And, and what do we learn uh, from this love story, this uh, love story that's gone on for decades and decades, and, and now I believe will carry on away from Earth? Well, Barbara Bush described her and her husband, and I'm quoting here from something she wrote in her 94 memoir. They described themselves as the two luckiest people in the world, and when all the dust is settled and all the crowds are gone, the things that matter are faith, family, and friends. We have been inordinately blessed, and we know that, that there was a treasuring of each other and what they had in life, and what they treasured was not the accolades and the titles and all that sort of stuff. What they Mm -hmm. valued most was each other. And at the end of the day, um, I think they were able to really capture what was most important and live out of that. I don't know about everybody else, but uh, I took an extra moment on the weekend to make sure that my Jackie knows how much I love her. And maybe that's the point of a love story like this uh, and, and looking back on it. I think so. I think this is all a chance for us to remember how precious life is and how beautiful it can be if we just continue to invest in each other. Carolyn, thanks for this, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. It's awesome talking to you. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Carolyn Klassen from Connexus Counseling, 2.30 to 3 on Thursday. We'll talk about a bunch of other stuff, but I wanted to get Carolyn on on that today. And and even, you know, Cam and I were talking a little bit about the Bushes. And listen, not everybody's going to agree with the politics, but I really did uh, two things about uh, him that impresses me. The love with his wife that he had with Barbara and the fact that family meant everything to them and they – Seem to have a wonderful family. Like the the great quote I heard about uh, George Sr. was from his 30-something-year-old grandson, one of his grandkids, many grandkids, said, yeah, sure, he was the president and the leader of the free world and all that stuff, but as far as I'm concerned, he was the world's greatest grandpa. And, you know, when you can uh, pass away at the age of 94 and have your family and, and friends and the people close to you that think that of you, You've done something right. I don't, you can't really ask for any much, uh, anything more than that, nope. to be honest. Nope. That's, uh, that's uh, pretty much uh, all I hope for when it's all said and done. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.